some things this week that uh, came up. So there's, there's a lot of stuff. In fact, stuff is happening so much right now. We're getting so much information inundated with um, from CDC, NIH, all these different groups, how the vaccines um, are not what we thought they were. I mean, we knew. But uh, the CDC seemed to be the only people that didn't know. But uh, the vaccines are, are, are um, causing a lot of heart issues, a lot of different things. Um, the, the masks, even Fauci came out and said the masks don't do anything, all that stuff, right? So this stuff is all coming out like crazy right now from, um, from the higher-ups, right? And uh, there's a study that was done, and this is in the Epoch Times. You can go look at this. There was a study, and I think the study was done by Germany, but the Epoch Times is the one who printed it. And, um, and basically it's saying that from the time that the vaccines were rolled out and in, and in 19 different countries, um, and these would be developing countries, I mean not developing countries, um, developed countries, not third world or developing or any of that kind of stuff, but these are, these, these are predominantly Western society, right? The, the, the vaccines rolled out, becomes mandated, people began getting the vaccine. They started doing the studies at that, and at the nine-month point, nine to ten months, birth rates plummeted drastically in all of these countries. This is not a little study by a little group over here. Where 19 different countries, the birth rates go down like, like major, over 50, 60, some as high as 80-something percent that birth rates are going down in these countries. There's been a few places in the United States where this has been tested, but um, we do, unless somebody does a specific test, this is not something that's going to be noticed. We'll have to, we're going to look back and, and see most of ours in the United States. And I think that's because the United States has, has been, has been uh, purposefully hiding this information. But a couple years ago, a few years ago, when this first started happening, I basically was begging, and I know other people were begging the younger generation, be careful with this vaccine, specifically young um, girls, women that want to have children. Because there was already information, this is three years ago, there was already information coming out that this was very harmful to women and, the, and uh, will potentially make it difficult or impossible to have children after you've had the vaccine. Now, I do want to throw this in here. I didn't say this first service. You know, we still believe in a God of miracles. So even if you got the vaccine and you can't have a baby, um, pray. Let God do that. God is still a miracle-working God. And so just throwing that out there, it's, it's uh, crazy what's still coming out with all of this uh, vaccine information, all the stuff that's going on. I did have something happen to me this week that was, for me, it was interesting because um, it, it was a different, it, it was like a paradigm uh, d difference. Like, this is the way I see, this is my worldview, this is my understanding, and then this is what I was um, presented with, and it really did catch me off guard for a little bit. But th this is basically what happened, is, um, <clears throat> so we, there was, there's a bunch of bad bills. Everybody asks me every week, how did this week go? It went horrible, just like last week, because we do a bunch of bad bills that are destroying people's lives, destroying babies, taking our, our Second Amendment rights away. I mean, that's all we do. That's all we do in that house is just take everybody's rights away and attack, attack, attack people, attack businesses. And okay, so I digress. But here's what happened is we were, we were discussing a bill and we do something called filibustering. That's not supposed to be something we, that's not a term we use in the house because it's not a good one. But uh, basically it means 
that uh, we're going to discuss this so long that the Democrats will eventually say, okay, we'll let you have an amendment or something. What do you want? Candy? We'll do whatever we can. And uh, we just do this forever. And so we've been talking about this, and we've done this a little bit before. And so we got there. I think it was Friday, actually, this happened. But we get there, and we're going we're gonna to filibuster. So all these people in the Republican caucus, and they're doing good. They're, they're, we're kind of united on this, and they're getting up. 15, 20 minutes, and they sit down, the next person tags and all this stuff. And, and uh, everybody kept waiting, kept coming back to my desk and said, are you going to be part of this? And I said, yes, I am. I'll let you guys do all your thing, and then I'll do my thing. I'll, I'll clean it up. And um, not clean up what they were saying, but be the cleanup. That's what I meant. <clears throat> and um, so they're doing that, and finally it comes time. I get up there, and, um, and I talk for an hour on the subject. And I had my notes. I wasn't just rambling. I was actually saying stuff. And I talked for an hour, and my mouth was getting really dry because my diabetes does that to me. And I didn't have any water. And so at the end of the hour, I'm like, you know, that kind of thing. So I look over, and I say, well, I think I'm about done for now, uh, and I'll get back up. Well, when I get down, everybody's been texting. Everybody's doing all this stuff. All these Republicans come over to me. They're like, man, you're the bomb. You're the best filibuster ever. I'm like, what? They said, nobody's ever just talked for a straight hour before. How do you do that? I was like, I don't know. I told him, I said, this is what I do. This is the only thing I'm good at. So, uh, and if, my, if I would have had water like this, I could go forever. Hmm. So, yeah, it was really strange. They, they said, we never seen anybody do that. I'm like, it's an hour. I can talk about nothing for an hour. All right, go with me to Deuteronomy. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 34. And this is, so this, uh, this um, message this morning, this is really, this is really different um, from the way that I say this. Now, I know when I say this, this is very different. It's going to be a different kind of message like I, when Lynn and I are talking later at lunch, she'll say, it seems like all the other messages. Not in a negative sense. She's not picking on me. But I'm, she's saying it didn't seem that different. But this is. In my spirit, my heart, my mind, you need to understand this is different. I think that will come out toward the end. And the reason is because we have a lot of thinking, a lot of process um, in Western Christianity. And this, is, this used to be kind of only part of the charismatic groups. Um, then the Pentecostals caught on, and now it's all through all kinds of denominations in, in um, the church in America, is this thought process. And by the way, this is proof of, sometimes we, we look at the, the world and the, all the evil stuff coming from the world and the darkness and everything else, and we say, well, I don't want that to get into my life. And what we're talking about is like big sin stuff, right? But in reality, that darkness is always creeping. It's always creeping. And, um, and it affects the church. And then what happens is we start thinking about things differently uh, theologically, and then a decade, and then 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And I would say the mentality, this kind of, some of the hyper-faith and name it, claim it stuff um, over the last 40, 50 years has really changed the theological way we look at God and look at Scripture, okay? Even in the places we say we don't agree with that. We're, we're obviously a Pentecostal church, but, but I'm not going to ever preach or teach um, hyper-faith or name it, claim it or any of that kind of stuff. Um, it's, not, it's not biblical. I know it well. 
Um, I was in it 25 years ago, but it's not biblical. But then what happens is, is, is because of our humanistic bent as, as people, or I'm not picking on us, I'm not saying we're, we're worshiping you know, in a humanistic way, but being, as human beings, we are naturally self-focused. That's, that's, that's actually, you know, if you just ever want to study this out, this is actually based upon our will to live. Have you ever, ever processed that? Our will to live drives us to have um, selfish direction and motivations in a lot of different ways, and then those aren't bad. But then what happens is it starts creeping into how we understand and see God and these kind of things. And there is, there is a bunch of, um, there's a bunch of stuff that is so invaded that we have to really struggle to get through to the other side to get real solid, personally, not like me teaching, but you personally in your own mind and spirit say, God, I need to know who you really are and how you really interact with me. There's a, the big question that I always get for years and years, decades, is why could a loving God let so many bad things happen on this earth? Okay, now I'm not actually going to address that. I've addressed that before, but I'm going to kind of go down a little bit further in layers and layers of how, how this looks. What happens is we start saying, instead of saying how could, how could a loving God let bad things happen in an ambiguous way, like, like just out there um, among the whatever what we do is we, we more internalize, and this is where I'm seeing the, the trend been changing in the last 10, 15 years. And we're starting to see the trend where we're putting ourselves in the middle of that and say, God, if you're a loving God, why are these things happening to me? Okay, that's a different, you say, well, that's the same thing. It's not the same thing because there's a lot of stuff out there that we have no contact with or interaction with, but that, but that, we can say, okay, well, God should take care of that. But then it becomes toward us. And then we start taking another level where we say, okay, I, I have got to um, be okay with or agree with the basic um, outcomes of life, right? So in other words, these things, good stuff should be happening like this specifically within my life. Now, the... Um, the problem with that is, how do you define good? This has always kind of been one of my things. I hear this all the time, the same thing with uh, fair. I, I hate the word fair um, because it's too relative. It's, I, I understand the word just, but fair doesn't always make sense. In fact, it rarely makes sense because when someone, and that's, by the way, that's one of the favorite words at the Capitol is fair. Well, this isn't fair. Well, who decides what fair is? Is it fair to you or me? Is it fair to somebody else? Is it fair all the way across the planet or only in America or only in Colorado? I mean, what is fair? How do you define fair is specifically how you define fair. It's not a definition that we would all agree with at any particular point. Well, is this fair? Well, Ask 100 people, you're going to get 100 different answers. Same thing with good. Who defines good? Well, good things should be happening in my life. Well, who defines good? Are you, and how are you rating that, too? This is, I always bring this up because it's a, it's a quick way to, to address these things. Are you saying that good things should be happening in our life according to standards in China? Because everyone here has way surpassed anything that would be considered good in China. India? And we could go right down the line across many places. How do you define good? That's part of this too. Okay. 
Um, th- this is where what we've allowed to happen is we've, we've allowed this, this uh, theological mindset that is not biblical, it's Hinduism, um, called karma, leak into Christianity to the point where we are all, we are very, very much about karma. And basically karma says, if I do good stuff, then good stuff happens to me. And, and that's just not true. You can do good stuff all the time and bad stuff happen to you. You can do bad stuff all the time and good, and good stuff happen to you. That's like half the book of Psalms. I mean, it, literally, right? So we don't believe in karma, guys, but what we do is we allow that to work into our Christianity and we start trying to assess our relationship with God based upon things that are not from his word but more from our thinking and our culture. And our culture pushes so much in, in American Christianity. Um, and, and this is, again, a simple way to do this. Just go anywhere else in the world and interact with the church and other places of the world. And they really think a lot of the things that Americans do in church is basically heresy. They just do. And I can't argue against it most of the time. Hi, Dylan. Welcome back. college kids showing up. So, so here's the thing with this. There's so, there's so much stuff that we have to deal with when it comes to, okay, who am I in relationship to God and why do bad things happen? Why do good things happen? All this kind of stuff. So I want to take you on a little bit of a process. This is going to be kind of depressing at first, but we'll get better toward the end. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land. Now now listen to the land that he's describing. From Gilead, as far as Dan, all the way to Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, extending to the Mediterranean Sea. The Negev, the Jordan Valley from Jericho, which is the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. You, You know what this is. This is the promised land. This is Israel. Okay? Uh, Lynn and I, went, we went to Israel uh, five, six or seven years ago. We were in the, um, the sea where you float. Dead sea. We were in the Dead Sea. Okay? And we're sitting in the Dead Sea, and you can literally sit in the Dead Sea. Right? You don't, it's a weird thing. You hear about it, and you hear about it, and then you go do it, and you're like, this is, all, this is strange. You can just sit in the water and read a newspaper. You are so buoyant. That has nothing to do with what I'm saying, so let me move on. It was amazing, though. So I'm sitting there. That's why I was trying to get to. So I'm sitting there, and I'm looking up on this, this whole mountain range. Um, it's a large, large mountain range that covers the, the landscape there. And I'm sitting there thinking about this and realizing that's the mountain range that Moses was standing on looking out over the promised land. I'm floating in the Dead Sea of the promised land. Now look at what happens. The Lord said to Moses, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had promised. The Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab. That's not Utah. But to this day, no one knows the exact place. Now, I, I, this is a little side note, just to make you think. 
Um, it's, it's very, very strong evidence that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Matthew, no, that's the Gospels. Start me off here. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, Moses wrote those, right? Um, some of you say, well, maybe he didn't or whatever. This, it, it, there's very little historical evidence that would say he didn't. He had to have written these. But we know he didn't write those sentences, right? He died. God buried him. He didn't write those. I'm just helping you understand Scripture here. So Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear and he was as strong as ever. In other words, he did not die of old age. He just died. The people of Israel mourned for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. So God takes Moses up to the top of this mountain and says, I've been telling all of your ancestors this is the promised land. You are the guy that has led them to this point, but you're not going in. This is, if you want to use the word fair, again, I don't like that word, but this would be not fair. I mean, Moses had, Moses had done so many things and had been so faithful to God over all, so much. And God said, you're not going. And now let's go to Numbers chapter 20 because this is the moment when um, God said, first time, you're not going into the land, Moses. This is why he's not going into the land. Numbers 20 verse 8. You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. Now, Moses had already done this in many miracles, right? Um, part of the seed. And God, everything he did, and he usually did it with, with the staff, right? All these different things. So now it comes to an exact same thing, just like he had done. He said, you will provide enough water for the rock to satisf- from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Now, here's a little, here's a little hint. Moses' opening statements let you realize where he's going emotionally and mentally with this and spiritually and why the outcome is what it is. His opening statement is, listen, you rebels. That is not a good... If I ever get up here... And I say, listen, you rebels. That's like my opening statement. It's not going to be good. It's going to be bad. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring water from this rock? It's interesting that he said that question. Must we? Who's he talking about? Him and Aaron. Who, who provided the water? It wasn't Moses. It wasn't the staff. It was God. God provides the water. Moses is just being obedient in that moment, and he is so angry and he's so filled up with these people and the stuff and the situations that he takes the staff and he strikes the rock. Look, Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Now, I I heard this years, years ago, and I actually kind of uh, began to understand this scripture a little differently, but... I heard a sermon that said, the guy said that the reason that God punished Moses is because God didn't want the Israelites to think that Moses is the one that provided the water. Because like if you, if you hit the rock a couple times, maybe chips a piece of the rock off, there's a spring already behind that. Now all of a sudden there's a spring flowing 
because Moses just opened up the spring. Now, that has validity to it, but that's not why God kept Moses out of the promised land for this. It's because God told him what to do, and Moses decided he was going to do it differently. And in that context, look at this. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, you know, he said it to Aaron too, which nobody ever pays attention to. He didn't have the same story later, but he said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, this is why he's telling him he's not going to go into the promised land. You didn't trust me. You didn't do what I said. I told you to do something, and you did what you wanted to do. Your way. Because you did not trust me enough to dis- demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land that I am giving them. This place is known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing. Because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he dis- demonstrated his holiness among them. Now, now, I know that this is pre-cross, and I do believe that there is grace And mercy after the cross in a different way there was before because it had been um, finished, as Jesus said, on the cross. It's been finalized. It's it's, um, completed. But what we've done in the American church for so long is we have taken accountability for our actions off the table. Personal accountability. When you disobey God, there are consequences. When God is telling you to do something, telling you how to do it, telling you where to go or whatever, there are consequences to this. You're going to be held accountable. And we like to think in, 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 uh, you know, in, in Western Christianity, well, that we can do whatever we want. We just ask for forgiveness and everything's good. But there are consequences for what we do and what we say and where we go. There are consequences you, you, you know this, you can prove this in 20 ways in your own life, that you said something to somebody that you should not have said, and you can go and apologize and everything, but that relationship is different because there are consequences. Jesus can forgive you, they can forgive you, everything, but there are consequences, and sometimes, oftentimes, that relationship is never the same, right? We know this. I... I I can take a lot of stuff from a lot of people, but if you lie to me and I know that you know you're lying to me, I will never trust you again. If we live to be 7,000 years old, I will, okay, I may forgive you somewhere along the way. But um, here's the thing is I can forgive people, but I don't trust them the same after that. You guys know this. You've seen this in, in, um, in marriage relationships, specifically if you've had a spouse that's cheated on you. You don't trust them the same afterwards. You can forgive, you can move forward, there can be a lot of stuff, but there's always that scratch in the back of your head that says, what if? Right? There are consequences for our actions. Let me me give you an example of one that um, I I worked out and and figured this out over over the last three or four years, I really processed this. But, um, and it has to do with Church of Briargate. And so... Um, when the previous pastor, Randy, he's a friend of mine, when Randy resigned as the pastor here, he, he started this church. When he resigned, some people uh, called Lynn and I, actually a few people called Lynn and I and said, hey, you, 
you guys need to send us your resume. In fact, Randy gives me hard times because some, somebody actually sitting in this room called us while he was still resigning. <laughs> I remind him of that every now and then, just, you know. But uh, so here's what happened with Lynn and I. As we begin to really, well, okay, I was about to say we begin to really pray about this, but we didn't. We pretty much really began to resist it. That's what we did. We just resisted it. And, uh, and, and for quite a few months did this. Linda did come around much earlier than I did, but we kept resisting, kept resisting. And then finally, we started having conversations with the board, the leadership at the time. And obviously, uh, this was 11 years ago almost, we came to here. Okay, so, so here's, here's what happened. And, um, and I understand this very clearly. I, I believe God showed me this. And, uh, and, and I, know this is, I know this is part of the deal. During that time frame, the church really went through some difficulties. And the church split during that time frame, almost in half, I think. And a lot of people left. Now, if I would have been obedient and done what God said quicker instead of dragging my feet and doing all this other stuff, um, could I have changed all of those things? I don't know. That's, that's not to be known. But I do believe that some people that left in the split would not have left. Some, some of the people may have left anyway. I, I don't know. It's too hard to say. But I do know this. If I would have been obedient and got here quickly, that would, that would not have happened that way. It would not have happened. There may have still been some issues and some problems, um, but that would not have happened. Why am I saying this? There are consequences for our decisions. There are consequences that don't just affect you, they affect everybody, affect every person in your life. And, and who knows how much stronger this church would have been that first couple of years, which was difficult. Okay, when, when I got here, we were, we were $25,000 in the red every month. That could have been so much different if I would have just been obedient. Just say, okay, God, I know you're telling me to do this, but I had all these reasons why I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to come to Colorado Springs, all this other stuff. Instead of just submitting to God and saying, God, I know you're telling me to do this. And I knew he was. I was just hoping that maybe I could wait him out. Maybe give a good, a good argument. And see, what helped me is Linda was hesitant too, and she's usually not ever hesitant. So I was like, God, Linda. <laughs> she ate the fruit first, Lord. <laughs> right? Guys, decisions have consequences. In your life, in your marriage, in your family, decisions have consequences. Interesting, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Interesting, Moses was living his life by looking forward in a way that is so difficult for us in a, in a Western-style Christianity. We have such an immediacy in our, in our Christian walk and an understanding. We got, we, well, God, why can't you do this right now? Why can't this happen? Or you know, and, 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 and we don't see that the same way in the Old Testament from a lot of these guys. We, we also think that we have to have... Um, that our purpose needs to be immediate too. What am I here for? Well, if I don't figure that out in 20 minutes, then the whole universe has no reason. Instead of saying, well, maybe, just maybe, God, yes, he did create you, and he does have a plan for you, and we're all called by God. I'm going to show you that. But, 
But maybe you just need to let God do things the way he did, that he's got planned, that he wants to do. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. It was by faith. Guys, I, I think faith, faith is so much in today's Western Christianity, faith is so much about the, the uh, belief so that something can happen. If I believe, this happens. Now, we believe strongly around here in miracles and healing, gifts of the Spirit, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm not trying to attack that. I'm not trying to say we don't believe that. But I, but I also think that we need a, a healthy kind of um, redo in our Christian, the way we pragmatically deal with our Christianity in our life and in our church. We need a reset that says faith is not about accomplishing something. That's part of it later. Once you get faith established, that can be a result. Okay, But faith is saying, God, you are God. That's it. What you say is, who you are is. I am not God, you are God. And so I serve God by how? By knowing that he is God. If he's not just believing in God, but believing him. When he says something, if his word says it, believe it. Just believe it. I get, I get interesting looks and feedback sometimes from pastors and Christians and things when I say things like, I really do believe that God created the whole, um, all of creation in seven days. Well, you don't mean uh, literal seven days. Yes. Literal seven 24-hour days. Well, six. You know what I'm saying, don't you? Okay. I concede that. But, but the idea that, that, that God did this. God did this. Why? Because he said it. That's all I need. He said it. I believe it. Well, these scientists, I don't believe them. I'm not worshiping them. I'm not serving them. And if they disagree with my God's book, I believe my God's book. That's how simple it is for me. Now, you've got to, every one of us here, you've got to figure that out yourself. Well, you know, science says this and science says this. Everything that we are bringing up in science nowadays is showing us that the earth is much, much younger than what we think. Not what I think. I think it's uh, right around 10,000 years old because God told us that. So why don't we just believe what the Bible says? Why don't we just believe it? That's faith to me. Faith, then it can become something where I can pray for healing and pray for something else because I'm understanding that, I'm learning that. But, but the reason I think sometimes we struggle in God doing the supernaturalness in our life when we're praying is because we haven't established in our mind and our spirit that he is God. That he truly is God over everything. We're letting everybody else tell us all this stuff about God, and we're believing parts of it over here and believing parts over here, and how could he do this, and how could he do this? And then we come before God and we say, God, I want you to be you and heal me. I want you to be you and do these things. And, and I really think God is saying to us, um, be the me that I am or the one you've created me to be? Do you want me to be God? Because I am. But that's not who you think I am. And there's a lot of disconnect there. It says, <clears throat> it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this is interesting because gonna, we're going to read down through this. This is very important when you're studying Scripture. And there are theologians that totally disagree with this mentality, and they are flat wrong, okay? When you see something quoted in the New Testament, 
It tells you how you should understand that in the Old Testament. If you see Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, it is the Holy Spirit showing us how that Old Testament should be understood. Because all Scripture is inspired by God. If God causes Paul to write something about a Scripture, the easiest one is, is Luke. Right, where Luke quotes Isaiah and about that, uh, of, that Jesus is going to be born of a virgin. In the Old Testament, that word can mean young lady. It really does. It doesn't mean virgin the exact same way. It can be, it's a little ambiguous. But when Luke quotes it in the Gospels and he says, virgin, uh, she has never been with a man. Now we know how to translate Isaiah uh, chapter 9 properly. Right? Okay. So when we see the Old Testament talked about in the New Testament, that's telling us how to understand that story in the Old Testament, either uh, better, more accurately, or whatever. So it says here that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter by faith. Not because of righteous indignation for the Hebrew people that were being persecuted and all the stuff that some people say. Why did Moses say, I'm not Pharaoh's daughter's son? Because his faith says, I belong to God. I'm part of the Hebrew children and I belong to God. I don't belong to Pharaoh. I don't belong to his daughter. I don't belong to that system or that kingdom or anything. By his faith and understanding who God is and how God wants to work in his life, he rejected that he was part of Pharaoh's kingdom. It was by faith. We always make it social or even geopolitical, all the different things that we can extrapolate onto Moses. It says here, it was by faith he did this. Look at the next one. He chose to share. He chose, that's, that's very important, to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses intentionally chose to say no to sin and all the stuff that was available for him as part of Pharaoh's kingdom because he what? He belonged to God. Not because he was, he was um, related to all the Hebrews out there, but it was because of his relationship with God. He chose to say no to the sin stuff. Guys, there's, there's been so much creep. All my life I've seen this. So much creep of sin into the church. So much creep of sin. And, uh, and, and we just don't stand up against sin. We, we just don't do it. I know, I know for younger people, they, they don't like it if I say something like this. Because there are things we're doing now in society, in the church, and as part of the church, that when I was a kid would have been seen as complete blasphemy and heresy. And we just do it now. We're just part of it. We just embrace whatever. We embrace whatever agenda Satan hands to us. He can hand us an abortion agenda. He can hand us an LGBT agenda. And we'll watch the TV shows. We'll watch the movies. We'll enjoy it. I, I just get more and more frustrated with this all the time. I'm talking about my own spiritual life, not you, because I don't know what you're doing. But e even last night, we, we, Linda and I turned on a show. We've been watching this show. It's a great show, fun. Uh, haven't had any like bad things in it, no cussing, no nakedness, all that kind of stuff. And then last night, the whole show was about the LGBT agenda. I'm like, I'm not, actually, I say the whole show. We only got into about 20 seconds. And I said, come on. She said, are you going to watch it? No. I don't, I, don't, I don't need that in my head and my spirit. It's everywhere. 
Why do I need to be entertained by it and laugh a little bit by it and uh, think it's funny over here, all this kind of stuff? Because then what happens is it's becoming part of your soul. And you don't realize it because we're being entertained and it's lighthearted and they make little jokes and all this other stuff. But it is being pushed so that it becomes part of your thinking. It becomes part of your worldview without even realizing it. And I can prove this easily. I can take somebody older in this room right now and begin to ask them questions of how this is understood and perceived. And I can take somebody younger, say in high school, ask them the same questions, total different worldviews on this stuff. And, and both being good Christians, not addressing their Christianity. Complete different worldviews. Because why? Satan is infiltrating. Moses says, I'm not going to do that. He said, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ. Now this is... This is a major point in this whole message. In fact, this is the, this is the hinge of this whole message. Is, is it saying here, Paul is saying that Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ. Now show me one place in the Old Testament story of Moses that the word Christ came up. Anywhere. Where did Jesus come up in that whole story? Now, we can, we can um, by studying the picture, you can see the understandings of, of, the, of the reality of Christ woven through the story, but we don't actually see it in, a, in an active sense. Moses never says anything about Christ. But Paul is saying here that Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ. Now, here's, a, here's the question. Did, Moses, I mean, did Paul get this totally wrong because this is... You know, a few thousand years later, or did he get it right? Or, again, if Paul is quoting this and saying this, this is about the story, then that tells us what the story was actually doing and happening at the time. And so it's at, at a base theological level, we understand, even though we didn't see it in the story anywhere, we understand that Moses had his eyes down the road on Jesus before Jesus was being talked about exactly like this. He was serving Jesus. In fact, if you go to the end of the chapter, or chapter 11 in Hebrews, it says that all of these people mentioned in this book, in this chapter, <clears throat> which are all people of faith, that they were all waiting for the Messiah to come, although they knew he, they would never see him personally. Guys, that's faith. That's faith that goes really deep into a person's existence. I'm never ever going to have a, 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 a casual opportunity at any level to see this Messiah. But that's what I'm living for. That's, that's my life's direction. That's everything. Look, he says, I mean, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to earn the treasures, of, to own the treasures of Egypt. He was not going to sell out. There was not a price for him. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He didn't run away because the king put a bounty on his head. He, he left because his faith in God, he knew he was supposed to do that. Right? He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. He is keeping his eyes on Christ before they have a real understanding of who Christ is. We have great understanding for who Christ is. And we struggle keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because there's all the treasures of Egypt and all the stuff. And we've got to make decisions about that. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death 
would not kill their firstborn sons. Now, I would say let's take the, the, ten, the ten plagues off the table for a second. That's a strange thing for Moses to come and tell people. I want you to take the lamb, dip the hyssop branch in it, splash the blood all over your doorpost so that God will not take your firstborn son. That's a strange thing. That's a strange uh, posit. And I think most people would have said, I just don't know. But they had just seen the other nine plagues. Right? And at the end of those nine plagues, they're like, I don't care what God says, I'm in. I'm going to do exactly what he says. As Moses was looking forward to Jesus. And then the, the amazingness of the whole story that unfolds. Moses is looking forward to Jesus. story unfolds. Guess what the story is? Passover is about Jesus. Some things I, I wrote down here. Number one, Moses was called by God. <clears throat> and here's where I think very strongly we have to see. <clears throat> That's another hour right there. <laughs> Moses was called by God. Guys, you're called by God. I say this regularly around here, but I, I, don't, I, I, I think I'll just always continue to say it. You're called by God. You're created supernaturally by God for purpose and direction. You are called by him. He has, he has a plan for you. We, we, think, we, we think, we look at people like me and we say, well, yeah, God's called him. That's obvious or whatever. But you didn't know me at 17. Nobody in my world, except my grandmother, would have said I was called by God. Nobody. In fact, they would have probably bet I was called by Satan. That was, my, that was my plan at that time. But, but you're called by God. Don't, don't assess that according to somebody else. Assess it only by the Holy Spirit. You're called by God. He has a plan for you. He has, he has things he wants you doing and, and ways he wants you doing stuff. But again, that has to start with what? God, my faith is in you. My faith is not what you can do, but my faith is in you. The second thing. Moses was held accountable for misrepresenting God. Okay? As I, as I mentioned, our sin does have consequences to it. Our, our rebellions, our attitudes and stuff has consequences to it. But here's another layer that I think is important. Is when you, when you um, step up and declare that you are speaking for God, I think that's a whole other layer. There's consequences for that. If you say you're speaking for God, well, in the Old Testament, if you weren't right, everybody was supposed to stone you. And we forget that in the New Testament. But you say, well, this, because everywhere online, everybody now, everybody's got a word from God. Well, God told me to tell you this. That, I don't want to hammer it too much because I do think for us as a body, I think we need to expect that more. I think God is speaking to you more than you think, and we need to, to speak for God more. But I also believe that the church at large has taken this, we've gone crazy with this. Everybody's a prophet. Everybody's saying this. Everybody's doing that. Well, when do we hold people accountable? You said this. Well, it, is it right or wrong? Think about this. I, I had a conversation with somebody this week, and this has happened to be two other times, but it's been years, years ago. Now, the person that talked to me about it was not defending it. She was actually saying, they don't go to the church here or anything, but she was actually saying, 
I think this could be wrong. What do you think? It's one of those political things where they said, can you be a pastor for a moment? I'm like, I'm actually a pastor. I, I do political things for moments. And she said, somebody that I know is telling people that God told her that she's supposed to marry this specific man in the church. Apparently, she's a leader in her church. She's supposed to marry this specific man. And I'm like, okay. And she said, but that man's already married. <laughs> Apparently, you guys already know the answer <laughs> to this. But I, I, I told her, I said, she's not hearing from God. She's hearing from something. Self, lust, something. I don't know, but she's not hearing from God. God's not going to split up a marriage so that lady can be married to that guy. That's the opposite of who God is. She said, well, I thought so. And I said, well, she was wanting me to, like, call the lady. I said, I'm not doing, I don't know this. No. Hey, my business. <laughs> but, but, guys, we, we do this. And we say, well, God said. And, and it's very easy for us in the church thinking nowadays to say God said when really it's just something we want. We want this or we want this. Or, and I'll tell you a big one with all these prophecy guys is they like to say God said so people will think they're really spiritually uh, advanced and they know things and they're holier than everybody else. Okay, the first time they get it wrong, call them on it. Stop supporting them. Shut the, the, the blog down. If you want that authority, then you need to be held accountable to that authority. As when we, we've got to realize that there is accountability for misrepresenting God and accountability for just sin in our life. The third thing, Moses loved God. We know this. God walked with him on the mountain. He's talking with him, and him and Moses are hanging out, and he says, oh, by the way, Moses, you're not going in the promised land. Man, that had to have hurt, Right? I'd had to have dug as deep as... I can't imagine something as strong as that. Moses spent his whole existence for that moment. And he couldn't go. But here's, here's the cool thing. Let me, let me take us here. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking to Jesus. How many hundreds of thousands, millions of people could God have chosen to take great holy people through Scripture? Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these different people. But when Jesus needed some refreshing and he needed the Holy Spirit to breathe into his existence and he needed to be strengthened and motivated and his mind set in the right direction, God brings Moses and Elijah. God didn't have to bring anybody, but he brings Moses and Elijah. And this is the moment that we see, I think, if we can see this in our limited Christian walk mentality, not everything is about your life. Not everything is about that time frame called your life. That sometimes you're serving God for something that you'll never see the benefit of. You're serving God because he's told you to. You're serving God because he's God. You're serving God and there may be no return on something. But you're serving God. And 
When God says, hey, let's go, Jesus needs us. Moses, come on. Do you realize the depth of what that means for who Moses is in the big scheme of the kingdom of God? Moses and Elijah. Those are the guys. And Moses is the one standing there saying, Jesus, you got this. I served my whole life. I served you without even knowing who you were. But now I know. And you got this. You're going to do this. Guys, this is, to me, this is, if, if, if we can get a moment like this somewhere a million years from now, no matter what we have to deal with in this life, it's worth it. That we're God's go-to guy. Think about this. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world. I love the fact that the word exodus is used there. Moses comes to talk to Jesus about exodus, but Jesus is exodus. He's like, I've done one of these before. It's going to be a little difficult, but you're going to make it. Just keep your eyes. Just keep your eyes on what God sent you to do. Let me finish it with the scripture I read last week. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Submission, guys, submission. If we could just submit to the Lord, just submit to him. This is not my life. It's his. This is not my planet. It's his. This is not my home. We're going to to be with him someday. That's our home. Just submit. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. When we hear the word rebellion, we're like, I'm not rebellious, really. I mean, I do things I shouldn't do, but I'm not rebellious. That's why the Lord throws stubbornness in there. It's hard to get away from that one. We're all stubborn. I... My stubbornness, I believe, is what caused that problem, or at least part of it. I don't want to take all the blame. Somebody else has got to be guilty. But I, my stubbornness is what caused Church of Briargate that, that, that problem in the first couple of years. Happened before I got here, but we dealt with it for a couple of years. Guys, stubbornness. Let's just submit to the Lord. Just submit to the Lord. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul couldn't be king anymore. Moses couldn't go into the promised land. We can go down all through scripture and see these kind of things. Submission to the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? And here's the way I wrote this <clears throat> so that we could, as we pray, we're thinking, I don't want us to get sidetracked with some of the stuff. I want us to really focus in on what we need to be thinking with this. Three things. These are things that I, I pray. I wrote these for me. I'm thinking maybe you would like to too, but these are what I wrote for me. I don't know all about God, but I will submit to him. Guys, we can, we can get a lot of traction in our spiritual walk if we can grab onto that. You're not going to understand everything. And when you don't, Okay. When science says this or somebody says this, okay, but I, I just, I submit to God. 
I just submit to him. Second thing, I will decide, I'm intentionally deciding, I'm, I'm deciding to decide. I will decide to trust him when everything looks wrong. When everything's falling apart, nothing seems right. I will decide to trust him. That's your choice. Nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else can make that decision. And the third thing, my life is not my own. It belongs to God. Let's pray. Lord, we just submit our existence right now to you. And Lord, in any way that we're struggling, submitting to you, help us submit. Lord, like like the guy said to Jesus, I do believe, now help me with my unbelief. Lord, I pray, I, I do submit. Now help me with my lack of submission. I do believe in you. Now help me with my doubt. I trust you. Now help me when I don't trust you. You're the king. I serve you because you're the king. Not for what you can do, Lord, but just because you are the everything. God, I pray for everyone in here. You know, the, you know the ones that are struggling with this. Lord, you know the answer for them. Keep your head bowed. I, just, let, me, let me ask that question so you, for you. If you'd say right now, I'm really, I'm really struggling with just trusting God, just trusting. I'd like you raise your hand real quick. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's what I think about that, by the way. I think we all do that at different times in our Christian walk. We're never ever going to be free of that. But when you're going through the times where you're struggling with trusting God, that's when you have to dig into Him more, submit to Him more. Surrender to him more. God, you see the hands. You know people's hearts. You know what's going on. So, Lord, bring your strength, your grace, your mercy, knowledge of your mercy and grace. Bring your spirit of peace. God, bring some understanding. Somewhere, somehow in this, Lord, help them to see a little more clearly what you're trying to show them. God, we know we're not going to get the whole thing. But God, sometimes we do need something. We do need something from you that shows us you're in charge. We're following you. You're the king. We're on the right track. So, Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus. Because we want to serve you not just a little bit. We want to be all in. We want to serve you. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room that's struggling with just being all in, just you are God and I'm just giving my life to you. Lord, help us to surrender to you. In Jesus' name. So, I'm 
really hoping we can have church Wednesday night. I've canceled the last two Wednesday nights because Mother Nature is all upset about something. So I need to say this. I don't believe in Mother Nature. People get some weird ideas about things I say. but um, So we talked about this. Pastor Rick and I were talking about this. Um, on nights like that when it's really bad, if we can possibly get here, I have a Jeep, big tires. I can go places. Many of you cannot. But I can be here. When we do that, we're looking at maybe going ahead and video on the service. Even if there's nobody in here, I'll still speak. I'll still go over what I was going to go over. And then you can watch online at home, okay, assuming that we can get here. I just hate canceling church. It's driving me crazy. We've canceled two weeks in a row. Um, so some of you are like, I never go to Wednesday night anyway. And God should make you feel bad about that. <laughs> so before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you an opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. And just tell somebody how big he is. Tell them how amazing he is, and he'll do some really big stuff in their life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad they're here. And we will see you Wednesday night.